Witness protection can't erase his past. This is Nailgun Messiah, the first book in the Micah Reed series. One novel, read to you a chapter at a time. Join us each week for a new installment of the story and get the book at jimheskett.com forward slash nailgun podcast. And now, the host and author, Jim Heskett. Hey friends, welcome back to the Nailgun Messiah podcast. I am your faithful host and author, Jim Heskett. And uh, today I'm not going to do a whole lot of that. Go here, do this, click on this thing, sign up for that thing, buy this, buy that. Um, We're going to skip all that today and get into our reading. I know it's been a couple days since I've seen you guys, so I hope you're doing well. Me, I'm doing pretty good. It's it's a good May for me. And um, so... Let's just do a little recap of the story so far, or actually no, let me just tell you what you need to know uh, to remember previously on Nailgun Messiah podcast. The last time we saw Micah, he uh, had gone into town to get a job and he got hired at the same hardware store where his sister Magda and housemate Hannah live. And so we are going to read a scene from the next day uh, after Micah starts his job. And then we're, there's going to be a little scene break where I'll be quiet for a couple seconds, so just enjoy the silence. And then we're going to read a scene from a, uh, the POV of a character we have, uh, we're going to be meeting for the first time. So let's just skip all the brouhaha, foo-fa, fanny-fa, and we'll go ahead and get into the reading. Here you go. After his first day of work, Micah drove back to the house with a sour feeling rumbling in his stomach because he'd lied on the W-499 paperwork. He hadn't wanted the paper trail. Maybe switching a couple digits of a social security number was a little white lie, but those kind of lies could sometimes lead to bigger ones, which could lead to a drink. He'd have to make amends later. He parked at the house on Caribou to find a gathering of cars in the front yard. As many as 15 people were in the den, kitchen, and dining room, talking, eating finger foods. The house regulars Lila, Rodney, Magda, Hannah, and Garrett were present, mixed in with all these strangers. Micah shed his green work vest from the hardware store and hung it on a hook next to the front door, then stomped his snowy boots on the rug in front of the door. The leg injury caused by Seth's screwdriver pulsed, even though it had felt better today compared to the last few days. A few of the strangers' heads turned to him, wide-eyed and curious. Rodney locked on and weaved through the den's inhabitants to greet him. How was your first day at work? Rodney said, flashing that toothy and charming smile. Fine, I guess. Mostly learning what stuff goes on what aisle. Micah wanted to add in trying to get these two mute women to speak to me with no luck, but he didn't trust Rodney enough to mention that yet. Rodney seemed like a nice and solid guy, if not a little guarded. Micah had to be careful with everyone. He was about to ask Rodney why there were so many strangers in the house when he noticed that several of them were carrying black books with a cross on the cover. This was Bible study night. He'd wanted to duck out and see if there was a library in town where he could access the internet, but the house rules required that he attend Bible study. Apparently, Bible study was open to the public. Who were these people that would come here to listen to Lila preach? As Garrett cruised through the hall holding a tray of chocolate chip cookies, Micah wondered if people weren't here just for Lila's baking skills. 
A bell chimed from the den, and Micah glimpsed Lila, standing on a chair, jingling a brass bell as she held her hand up to get everyone's attention. She was so tall that her hand nearly scraped the ceiling. Conversations hushed, and everyone congregated in an arc around her, taking spots on the massive rug. Micah kept to the back as far from Lila as possible. She eased into her grand chair, facing the group. Her scowl evened out, not quite into a smile, but into something not so scary. Thank you for coming to study with us this evening. Bible study is always open to all, so if you know anyone who might like to attend, please share what you learn here this evening. Some attendants on the floor were cracking open their Bibles, flipping pages, getting out highlighters. Lila opened the Bible but didn't look down at it. In the sixth seal, angels appeared to God and pleaded with him not to end the world until the 144,000 were marked with the sign for salvation. It was the Lamb's job to offer them protection. This is why we are here, because the Lamb wants to judge if we are worthy. Micah checked the reaction of people around the room. Some were listening with rapt anticipation, and some were staring off into space. Some of their eyes closed as if they were meditating on the words. In Babylon, Lila said, there is a lack of spiritual dimension, a lack of consistency between what they say and what they do. If your values conflict with what they preach, they will turn on you, regardless of whether or not that follows their own laws and edicts. And that's why we need the Lamb. He alone has the key to unlocking and understanding the words in this book. She held up the Bible to demonstrate. The narrative in this is coded, and only the Lamb has the key to unlock it, which will allow the 144,000 to receive the marking and bring about their protection. A man across the room cleared his throat. He had dark brown skin and all black clothing, with silky black hair down to his shoulders, pockmarks all over his face and broad features. Native American. So this was probably Eagle, the only house resident besides Cyrus Micah hadn't yet met. Eagle stood and disappeared to the rear of the seated crowd, as silent as air whisking across a field of grass. Micah had noticed a couple others coming and going off to the bathroom or returning with more snacks from the kitchen. With a glance at Lila to make sure she was occupied, Micah scooted back and stood, then ventured into the kitchen to find Eagle. Rodney's eyes tracked Micah as he left the room, but Micah pretended not to notice. Just going off to pee, nothing to see here. Eagle wasn't in the kitchen, but Micah caught a whiff of black clothing exiting the back of the kitchen into a hallway. Micah hadn't been down that hallway yet, so he slinked forward and paused at the turn. From the den, Lila still droned on with her religious prattle about seals and Babylon and something about the hypocrisy of mainstream Adventism. The more she talked, the more animated she became, hard not to feel affected by the rhythm of the way she spoke. Micah had known people in the cartel who spoke that way, but they used their charisma to incite others to violence. Whatever passion Lila wanted to spark in people, Micah didn't yet know. He peered around the doorframe and into the hallway. Eagle was there, standing in front of a door, fiddling with a set of keys. He unlocked the door and slipped through it. Before he disappeared, he swept his eyes around behind him and Micah swung back to keep out of sight. Then Micah eased forward again as the door shut. Eagle locked the door behind him and Micah crept through the hallway. He could hear footsteps descending creaky wooden stairs, a basement. What was Eagle keeping down there?
Father Thomas Benedict knelt in the first row pew of Sacred Heart Church, gazing up at the crucifix on the wall. The sculpted homage to Jesus' suffering was a stiff reminder to be humble whenever Benedict felt the yearning to drift into self-pity. He didn't have to worry about anyone driving nails through his hands. He didn't have to inspire millions, only a few dozen who regularly came to his masses. He tried to clear his mind to pray, but his thoughts drifted to Sunday's homily, the one he had yet to compose. The language of the right words had failed him for the last three days. He could always reuse the text from the last time he'd given the same homily in Boise. The small mountain congregation would never know. But he would know, and that was enough to make it a roadblock. He stood, smoothed a few wrinkles on his sleeves, and then straightened his purple stole. His back ached as he stretched, another reminder that he was almost forty. He hadn't thought he would dread this birthday as he had when he'd turned thirty, but these increasing aches and pains in his body weren't helping. Regular exercise wouldn't hurt, but who has the time? A glance at the back row of pews indicated six people awaiting confession. Could be a long morning. He slid into the confessional and took a rosary from a hook and then gripped it in his right hand. The feeling of the beads resting in his knuckle grooves came as a small comfort. A minute later, someone appeared through the curtain on the other side of the confessional booth. He slid back the cover, revealing a thick grate between him and the confessor. Benedict preferred face-to-face confession. This sort of booth was old-fashioned, but the parishioners here seemed to like it, so he'd kept it around. Even through the grate, he could see a mass of curly blonde hair thrust forward and clouding the face of the woman on the other side. "'Bless me, Father, for I have sinned,' said a high-pitched and young female voice. "'It's been, I don't know, maybe five years since my last confession?' "'Why so long?' Benedict said. He didn't usually ask something like that, but it had slipped out for some reason. "'I don't know, really. I mean, I know why I haven't been since moving to Ned, but... I don't know why I didn't go for years before that. You're here now. That's what matters. The girl paused. I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm on my lunch break, but it's still not a good idea. If they found out, they wouldn't be happy. Her words had come out jittery and unsure. Something in her tone made Benedict uneasy, so he chose his words carefully. Are you in some kind of trouble? She paused again. Longer this time. Through the grate, he could see the mass of blonde curls sway as she breathed. This was probably a bad idea. At any second, she was going to get up and leave, and he didn't want that to happen. He struggled to come up with the right thing to say to keep her in the booth. You're safe here, he said. No one has to know that you've met with me. The old ways of judgment and repetitive prayers is penance. It doesn't have to be like that. We can talk about anything you want. She sniffled. I did something bad. When they find out about it, they'll kick us out of the house. Who's going to kick you out? Your parents? No, my parents live far away. Okay, Benedict said. Who then? I can't tell you. I can't tell anyone. But it's a secret so big that I don't see any way they won't be able to find out. I came down here from Ottawa to marry him, and, and now she has my passport. He tried to follow her vague statements, but too many questions swirled around Benedict's head. But at least now he knew she was a little older than he'd first thought. Who has your passport? She didn't answer, only cried softly on the other side of the divider. He had to start slower to gain her trust. She was obviously here because she needed help. My name is Father Benedict. 
Thomas Benedict. I haven't been in Netherland for very long, maybe even less time than you, so we have that in common. Will you tell me your name? Hannah. Okay, Hannah. Anything you tell me never will be repeated outside this booth. If something is troubling you, don't feel like you have to carry it around on your own. Tell it to me and God, and let us help you shoulder the weight. She only let me move into the house with him because she knew him since he was little, and I promised her I would stop being a Catholic. She told me priests were worse sinners than anyone in their congregation, and following them would be to believe in Babylon's lies. Babylon. A dark sense of realization settled over Benedict. Nederland was a small town, and he remembered seeing a woman at the Indian restaurant, a tall woman with a shaved head and striking features. This woman had been ranting at her dinner companions about the evils of religion, repeatedly using that word Babylon. You live in the house off Caribou Road, Benedict said, the one back in the trees below the big hill. Hannah burst into tears, sobbing openly. He wanted to walk around the divider and comfort her, but he knew he couldn't. All he had were words and the promise of God's forgiveness, and neither of those seemed to be getting the job done. She stood, and he caught a glimpse of her face through the grate, young and pretty, early twenties with pale skin and brilliant blue eyes. I shouldn't have come here, she said. I'm sorry I wasted your time. The curtain whipped back and she fled out into the church, but before Benedict could rise to go after her, someone else entered the booth. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned, a man said. Okay, everybody, that is our reading for this week. We're starting to get the story a little wider, meet new people. Things are getting exciting. Hopefully, hopefully you're interested. If you're not interested, I, I would imagine you're probably not listening to this part because you've dropped out already. Maybe I can win you back over if you're on the fence. Things are going to get way more exciting, and um, the stories will converge, and I'm, I'm going to stop talking about this because I don't want to spoil anything. But thanks uh, for tuning in, everybody, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this week's installment of Nailgun Messiah. Be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes and tell your friends about it. Don't deprive them of this show. Go to www.jimheskit.com forward slash nailgunpodcast for information. And we'll see you next week.